Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnerkline. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling. Eyes like the sky. Hey everybody, welcome to episode two of Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil. This is Daniel. Daniel Pettiklein, nice to meet you. Uh, this is our second episode. I'm really excited to introduce my friend, uh, Brian Brister. Did I pronounce your name right? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and Brian, I've been watching you from the sidelines for a long time. We've been like Insta friends and I've met you in person once or twice and I'm just going to, you know, start right out of the gate and say, you lost a lot of weight. You lost the, the equivalent <laughs> of a human being. Yeah, for sure. And, and we live in a time where the vast majority of Americans are suffering from some kind of addiction. And I think the, the main addiction in North America is too many calories. Like we have an abundance of it. It's yeah culturally acceptable to numb out with food with drink with alcohol but food is like it's the easiest you know our our I'm, i can get a little excited about this because like you i'm a certified health coach i'm not in that world too much anymore but it's it because of me losing my dad to a lifestyle of unhealthy choices i actually get pretty fired up about people making a conscious decision to stay healthy and and I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but hot damn, you've done something extraordinary. <laughs> and I don't want to hide your light under a, the, the, the basket, so to speak. I want people to know about you. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about, about yourself and about how this started for you? I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, so I am a fashion photographer and a worship leader. And also, as you mentioned, a certified health coach now. However, nothing about my life had ever said, hey, Brian, he's going to be a health coach one day. Uh, nothing. So I was diagnosed with a thyroid disease at the age of 12. And that partnered with terrible eating habits means that I just gained all of the weight. Uh, I tried just about every diet, juice, and pill that you can think of through high school, college, post-college, grad school, life thereafter, and would lose 20 or 30 pounds, but then would get tired or bored or just want pizza. So I'd quit um, and then gain all of that back. And I had gotten to a place a couple of years ago. I was living in New York City and I weighed 330 pounds. How tall are you? And uh, 6'1". You're a tall guy, but 330 yeah, is still but 330. <laughs> 330 is 330 on any size, yeah. Dude, um, I'm jealous of your height. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and I was on six medications a day for oh my my thyroid and heartburn and indigestion and cholesterol and, you know, all of the things. But even more than those things was the limitations that I had in my life that I just learned to live with huh. and didn't realize that I didn't have to. Like, I was tired all of the time. And so I would drink three or four cups of coffee just to leave my house in the morning. And then I would drink coffee all day long, not as just a social thing, but also like a, hey, I should be Brian thing. And living in New York City, you walk a lot, like six to 10 miles a day. And I was miserable. My feet hurt so badly. 
Um, I ended up having custom-made orthotics put in my shoes at like 500 bucks a pop. I went to physical therapy three days a week trying to strengthen my foot muscles to continue carrying my weight around instead of just losing weight. Um, and like coming out of the subway, like walking up the stairs, I'd have to stand on the sidewalk for a little while and like catch my breath and just all of these things that like a 30 year old dude, well, no one should struggle with, but especially not a 30 year old. Yeah. Um, but I also didn't do anything to change it. Like I just continued living that life. And then I ended up moving to Los Angeles and I had seen a friend of mine posting these before and after photos of weight loss on social media. And so I reached out to him and was like, Hey man, I'd love to know what you're doing. So we hopped on a call. He told me all about it. And I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. I'll try it for a month and see what happens. If it works. Cool. If it doesn't, well, as unfortunate as that is, I've wasted money on things before. So, but the crazy part is that it worked (laughs) and it didn't just work, but I mean, Dude, it changed my entire life. Like I, I struggled to even try to put myself back in that body and remember the person that I was. Like when I look back at photos or videos, I have to remind myself that that's me because I've been so far removed, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually from that person who was living that life that I, it's unreal. So yeah, I lost 155 pounds. That's what I was about to ask. That's, that's <laughs> a crazy amount of weight. Yeah. Um, that was just a several, few years ago? Uh, yeah. So I actually, I started program January of 2019. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. So less than two years ago, I weighed 330 pounds. Wow. Man, that's amazing. And then, are you still like losing weight? Is Are you still doing no, this? No. So reached I, reached, I reached my goal in March of 2020. Um, so right, like literally I started transitioning off of the program one week before the world shut down. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, Oh, okay. I still have to cook everything at home. Cool. <laughs> Sounds great guys. Um, but yeah, so uh, that was March and I transitioned off and have been living in optimization and just focusing on other ways of improving my health uh, that aren't related to weight loss. So yeah, it's been wild, but yeah, that's the crazier part about it is the fact that not even two years ago, I was that person. And I was struggling and didn't believe that anything would ever change. And kind of what started all of this, actually. Um, so I was in Syracuse, New York for Thanksgiving. I went to grad school in Syracuse. I uh, got my master's in fashion photography there. So I have a lot of friends there. So I'll go back and visit. So two years ago, Thanksgiving, I was there visiting and was in a conversation with a group of friends late one night. And they were just asking basic questions. But like, are you currently dating anyone? What's going on in your life? Like, do you want to date anyone? And I was like, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I haven't dated in probably a year. And the reason for that is I don't find myself attractive. Mm. So I'm not really putting myself out there and I'm not expecting other people to find me attractive because I'm not an attractive guy. And I'm not saying that because I want you to like make me feel better about myself. Like that's, I'm just being real with you about where I am. And they were all like, okay, yeah, I've never thought about that or whatever, but that's where you're at right now. And so in that, I was like, I have to do something. Like, I don't want to live a life that I never want. Like, I want to be married. I want to meet a girl and fall in love and have that. Um, And so then that's kind of what led that journey of actually saying yes to 
one more thing and giving something else a shot, um, which led me here. So, dude, that's crazy. That's that is amazing. That's super amazing. Um, you you spent time in New York. You spent time in LA. Your accent's telling me you're from somewhere else. Um, yeah, I'm gonna guess the South. Yeah, so I I grew up in Mississippi and Elvis Land. <laughs> yes, further south than that, actually, though. Yeah, um, okay. 15 miles above the Louisiana state line. Okay. So super southern Mississippi. And, but I've known from a very young age that I was going somewhere else. Literally, since yeah. I was like five or six years old, my mm. only dream was to live in New York City. It's all wow. I wanted. Wow. So everything that I did was to get to New York City and mm. then to stay in New York City. So, through that, I also, I spent time, I lived in China teaching English. Um, after I finished grad school in Syracuse, I actually moved to London and worked there for a bit. Uh, then I went back to Syracuse and then I went to New York City and I was there for several years. And so growing up in South Mississippi, uh, it rarely gets cold. And when it does, it's only for a couple of hours for a couple of days. <laughs> and I never considered in the whole process of I have to live in New York City that they have really terrible winters. And I hated it. I hated it so much. Winter was the worst thing ever. I like seasonal depressive disorder, like for real. Um, I was going to therapy. I was taking medication just to get through winter. Yeah. So that then I could have a summer where I was like, this is the best in the world. Okay, it's time to be sad again. Um <laughs> So I was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to go somewhere else. So I began looking for a place that I could still shoot fashion, was still a large city, was still racially and ethnically diverse, and I could drive a car because I really miss driving a car. So I landed on Los Angeles, and I moved there, uh, moved to Los Angeles. Actually, oh, wild. Oh, my gosh. I moved to Los Angeles two years ago today. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> How'd you do it? How'd you do it in England? I lived in, I lived in Birmingham for a few years working um, in the car industry there. And I found the seasons like the dark season from like October to, you know, March, April to be hard. Like, Brutal really. is a better word for that. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the crazy part about that was that even the summer had like a lot of rainy, cold days that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. And like when the sun was out and it was warm, yo, London was bomb. Yeah, it was like, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But like I feel weather internally, like on a spiritual level. And so like the moment it starts raining, I'm just done. I'm, it's just over. And so obviously London was not my best choice. <laughs> yeah. Where I moved from London to uh, Kentucky for a minute and then to here where my wife's family's from in Portland. I'm in Portland, Oregon. And you've been, we've been both in Portland for like 10 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. And when I first moved here, I was lit. I was like, my, she was then my girlfriend. We were living together and I was, I was like in our bed. And it was like the seventh or eighth day of rain straight. And I was like laying in bed going like, what have I done? Like, <laughs> how did you make it 10 years then? <laughs> yeah. Uh, travel, like being able to get out <laughs> of quickly. We have a good airport. So getting out quickly, the food and the coffee keep me here. The out access to outdoors keeps me here. I actually really love Portland. It's my favorite city I've ever lived in. I feel like living in a in a rainy place like London or Portland is like resistance training for the soul. You know, like you have to be on your game in every aspect to be like 
mainline happy, you know? I think that's well said. I, people come <laughs> here and they're like, oh my God, I love Portland. This is so yeah. great. Six or nine months later, they're like Charlie Browning so hard. <laughs> the sad music's playing. And, I guess this just adds to, geez, this just yeah, adds to my I'm knowledge that I'm such a pansy because I have no <laughs> desire. None. I moved my base of ops down to Northern California. And it's like when you resistance train on something, and then you take the resistance away, you flourish, right? Like you just, yeah. it, and I had that experience with like, <laughs> with the, your personality, like my personality had the resistance that 15 pounds I'd been carrying around all the time. It was, it was funny and it hasn't gone away. It's here for so long. It's like, this is now me. It's awesome. That's incredible. So tell me a little bit like Mississippi. I mean, years ago, I read this um, article about, um, the evil of sugar. And I don't, and I, and, and I actually mean evil, like actual capital E <laughs> satanic evil. And it was a cover story in national geographic that what? talked about how, um, a large part of the slave trade was, um, uh, mm. financed by the sugar trade in the Caribbean. And, wow. and so they would like ship slaves over, uh, then they'd go over to the Caribbean for the sugar trade. That whole population would, would live and die. All that sugar would go to North America. And so that, and then what happened on top of that is that the sugar plantations ruined the soil in the Caribbean. So that still to this day, hundreds of years later, nothing can grow on these islands. Wow. And, and now that sugar has gone and they used Mississippi in particular because of the, slave population generations later now is being enslaved by the sugar and fast food and soda industry. And so it just showed this like long-term evil incarnate thing. That's like beyond our control. It's like going wild. Wow. And I, I, I remember reading that article and, and feeling like a moral obligation to separate myself from sugar. And I, and like, I have ice cream in the refri for freezer. You know what I mean? Like I, like, I'm, I'm pretty gar like, I'm, I try to be, um, uh, what's the word, uh, moderated with this kind of stuff. Right. But as I read that and, and I was like, man, this is, there's some things you can't kind of deny. And that one like hurt me. That one hit me in the feels pretty hard. Yeah. Grew up, and I grew up in Southwest, Southeastern New Mexico. It's still kind of the South. It's just our food has like chili, like Mexican food in it, but it's still like heavy, Lots of sugar, lots of fried stuff. Um, you know, what was it like growing up in Mississippi where culturally, like being heavier, and don't let me speak for you, if this isn't the truth, I'm like, oh, dude, you're full of shit. Like, you know, what was that like? Like, where culturally, it's acceptable to be heavy. It's acceptable to, for people to eat home style, comfort food, like all the different adjectives they use to for that. Yeah, honestly, I... I don't think that I recognized it mm. because it was just life as normal. It was all I knew. And I don't think that I recognized it as much until I started coming back to Mississippi to visit my family after I had begun a health journey. And I was like, oh, this is, this is celebrated. And like all of the unhealthy foods and the sugar-induced comas that everyone ends up in for some reason after yeah. every meal is just normal. And yeah. it is a part of celebration. It is when you feel when a person is sad, when someone dies, when someone has a baby, like 
anything that happens in life yeah. requires those things. And it's like it's like food in a, in the South is like alcohol in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great yes. Yeah, that's a perfect way of saying that for sure. And it really does feel that way. But then also, there is never I can't say never. There yeah. is hardly ever an emphasis put on being at a healthy weight. Um, and no one cares about a BMI chart by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But then also, there is very little emphasis put on health at all. So right. whether you are overweight or not, like the foods that you're putting in your body, I don't know that I had ever eaten a vegetable that wasn't fried until I was like, I don't know, in high school maybe. Um, and same. Serious? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, same, same for me too. Like my family, it was like, there might have been a salad present. But it was covered in cups of ranch dressing, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I hated ranch dressing, so I didn't eat salad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's very interesting because, and so I'm a Christian, and in the idea of living a life and following certain guidelines that are set forth or that are deemed acceptable in the Christian world, the interesting one that I found that was never addressed by anyone, especially not in a church, was the act of gluttony, mm-hmm. where like it was totally acceptable to eat way too much food every time you sat down. It was totally acceptable to eat until you were miserable and then go lay down and take a nap and then wake up and eat more. Like that's mm-hmm. fine. And yeah. I saw that in me and in my friends and family. And in the leaders of my church and in the leaders of other churches, like that's just, it's acceptable. Meanwhile, so many other things that Christians are quote unquote expected to do, um, those are very seriously taught and like, do this, do this. It's so important. Here's the reason this is so important. But then there's this other side where it's like, eh, not really. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I grew up in the church too. I call myself Christian-ish. And, uh, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel's my, uh, resident pagan. And, and, and so he can kind of like look at it from the outside and be like, that's weird as hell. Uh, Wait, what? like just our culture, the culture <laughs> of Christianity, like how weird it can be and like hip- hypocritical and, and like he's describing, it's I'm like, Oh, uh, I, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it's okay to be judgy. Like, don't, <laughs> no, I just I, my my take on Christianity is nuanced. So it's whenever I hear you know anything that's not nuanced, it's like, well, hold on, let's tease this out. But that's another discussion. I, I mean, I I actually went to school to be a pastor and and started the track of of ministry and was a lay pastor for for like almost fifteen years. Wow. And um, and what you just described, like like every church that I was a part of. Well, I don't want to say that a majority of the churches that I was a part of, there was, there were like two deadly sins that like always corrupt up. And one was gluttony. Like you just described, like, like food as drug food as compulsion food as numbing out. And the other was like, like the majority of pastors I know have had an affair, including my grandfather who Mm -hmm. was a, a pastor the home church I grew up in, like, like it just like was pervasive, wow. you know? And, and what I think they both, I think they speak to the same thing. And that, and that is 
we were taught a lot of things like love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your, your body, and to love your neighbors yourself. And yet there was like also not a lot of tools of like, well, how, what do I do if I don't feel well, like mentally? What do I do with anxiety and depression? And because we didn't have those tools, we were looking for outs, like ways to solve those issues. And, and for any leader, whether they're in business or ministry or whatever, like the pressure of performance. I remember my first mm-hmm. office job, I was in business management from the time I could like get out of school and, and really only because I had a pulse, like nothing special. About <laughs> me. But I remember my first managerial, managerial job, I was in Southern California living in Anaheim and my boss who had this giant region brings me into his office and he starts telling me all the pressure he's under and he starts crying. And I'm like, I'm 23 you're a grown ass man crying in here in the office. And, uh, and thankfully I had one of those downloads where I was like, well, they're pushing you because you're a performer and you're really good at this. But what it was really, what I thought was apparent was like, we're, we live in a society where it's like perform, 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 whether you're in the church or not, you're, you know, whether you're, if you're in leadership of any kind, the pressure is for you to produce. And there's so there's such little tools on, decompressing from that production and, and the pressure that's put on you to be available, to be a face for everyone to tell you their problems. You know, leaders are dealing, especially people in ministry, they're dealing with secondary trauma from, from hearing all of the problems that someone else has got and dumps on them. And so of course they're going to look for some place they can numb out. Of course they're going to look for some place they can find a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of, you know, something that makes it, takes it off. For me, that was like alcohol. That was an easy one because I lived in the Northwest and, and it was acceptable. So I just like would like have people over, everyone would have their drinks and they'd all leave and I'd like finish all of theirs. Like, they, like oh, that was, you didn't know that? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I just, you know. Yeah, I mean, I had to stop. I mean, that's why I, one of yeah. the reasons I was like, oh, this isn't what normal people do. Okay, guess I... <laughs> guess I shouldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So tell me like, what was that like then when you started to, I mean, I I think it's really interesting about that anecdote you just said about not feeling attractive. What, if any role did like kindness to yourself play in that love for yourself, like gentleness for yourself, acceptance of yourself. How did that play into my not finding myself attractive? Yeah, like, and then the deciding to advocate for yourself by losing weight. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I. I mean, I'm. I'm sure that it played a much bigger role than maybe I even realized, because I. So, like, the guy that you see here, even though he looks different, like, he is still the same joyful, happy, loves everyone, celebrates everyone. That person is still very much the same. Like, I have always been a person who celebrates and loves people and welcomes people in with open arms. And like, that is who I am. But I didn't do that with myself, which is interesting because there's all of these phrases about you can't love people if you don't love yourself. And I'm like, actually, it's really easy to love other people because it's myself. That's the mess. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, I guess that I, I focused so much on other people and on loving other people that I didn't have to deal with the fact that I didn't want to love me or that I didn't want to celebrate me or I didn't want to 
take care of myself. And also I think that part of that was I didn't necessarily know how to sure. take care of myself. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier about like there were things that we weren't taught. Yeah. Um, what do you do whenever you're sad or depressed or you feel a certain way or all of those things? And another one that was big for me is self-control. Like I wasn't taught self-control and I'm not throwing that, like trying to blame that on the people who raised me or the church that I was raised in or anything. It's sure. just, I, I don't know people who were raised with self-control. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that is the reason that I and so many other people who struggle with whatever their form of addiction is do that because it's like, I'm going to go in balls to the wall, whatever this is until it hurts me. And now I have to step away. Well, then when the pain's gone, well, then I'm going to go back in for a little while. So here I am, you know, and then it's all over again. So I think that that was a huge part of it. So then the, the idea of just giving it one more shot and like trying one more thing was because I always had a dream and a hope that one day I would be attractive, that one day I would be this person that I envisioned in my head, even though I had never seen this body or anything like that. I, I, I had a hope that, there, that it was possible, so I was going to give it a shot just to see. However, even then, I had zero idea that it would ever be possible for me to lose 155 pounds. Um, whenever my coaches asked me in the beginning, like, if you could lose any amount of weight, what would that be? I was like, man, I don't know, 100 pounds? And I said that because I didn't believe that was possible. I remember thinking to myself, if I could lose 70, that would put me at 250. And that would blow my mind. Like, if I wait, I can't imagine weighing 250 pounds again. Like, that would be incredible. How old were you the last time you weighed 250? Before you lost all the weight, what, how old were you the last time you weighed 250? Mm. I was in grad school, so it actually wasn't that long ago. So 2011, 2012, um, I was somewhere between 240 and 250. Um, and then I, I gained after that again. Okay, I got but, a question for that in a little bit, but keep going. We'll come back around okay. to it. Yeah. So I think that beginning that journey, which then made me realize when it comes to food specifically, because food is my addiction, that is what I struggle with, which that's the other thing, talking about addictions so many other addictions aren't things that you actually have to have. They're just things that you're allowed to have. But like, yeah. I can't live without food. I have to eat it. Right. So yeah. How do I continue to address my addiction every single day and multiple times a day without letting it still be an addiction? Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. And so that's where self-control came in where, so for me specifically, I was eating six times a day, every two to three hours. And so I would set timers on my phone. And there would be times that I would go to eat something and I'd be like, ah, my timer hasn't gone off yet. So this is, you're talking about, you're describing your weight loss process. Yes. Yes. That's when I began to recognize. Yeah. So this whole deal of, so that was the self-control where I had to say, no, I have to put that down because it's not time to eat. But then also recognizing that I have this thing that I really want to eat, but it doesn't support my goals so I can either say no to my goals or I can say no to this thing. Well, I really, really want this. And so far, the weight loss thing seems to be happening. And I'm feeling a heck of a lot better than I have in years. And I have energy and I don't need 100 ounces of coffee a day to live. So like maybe this is, maybe this is working. So I'm going to say no to that. 
so that I can say yes to my health. So through this working of self-control day after day after day, I think that's where I honestly began to have the respect for myself. And I began to love myself more or at all um, was because I had proven to myself that I could do something, that I was worthy of it because I had accomplished something. And that's a whole other thing because worth has nothing to do with accomplishing. But I, that's where I started. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I know that at the core of my being, like if you had said it, I'd have called you out on it. Yeah. But that's where I was at that point I get in it. my journey. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm not worthy until I prove that I am. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think part of that speaks to um, the universal need for feeling like we've been initiated and, and hang with me on this for a little bit. Like, you know, most cultures have an initiation where you are separated from your comforts normally around like 12, 13, 14 years old. You're, and generally that means mom and the ladies who take care of you. And you are removed from that. And you are cast into the outer darkness, often through a barrage of painful experiences that are designed to wean you from feeling like something can hold you and protect you and, and, and keep you from the bad guy or from darkness. And we don't get that in North America. We don't get that kind of thing. It's just like, here's mommy. Here's a lollipop. Here's food. Here's more comfort. Here's snout. And here's now like a screen. And behind that screen is another screen. And then there's another screen. And so, there, you know, all your dopamine's like, bah, 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 bah. and then here's like, you know, food on top of that. And, and so the comfort just keeps on building up and our need for comfort just keeps on going, going, going. I think built within us all is this thing that actually is going like, man, something's not right about this. And, and some of us address it and we, we recognize that that's there. And I think it's this idea that we know we're built for hard things that we know, like deep inside us, like is the ability to do something really difficult outside of, of comfort. Like we can endure tough stuff. Like we can do really hard stuff. This guy was a distance runner in college I'm, I'm, you know, I've never actually asked you a lot about that stuff, but what was that like when you would have to put down like some mileage and push through like tremendous pain? Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that what I've found now, perhaps because of all this dopamine stimulus we get all the time and all the, uh, particularly with technology with, which filled in a lot of dopamine gaps, right? Yeah is that now my ability uh, to stay interested in a, a longer run, um, reading a book, like reading, mm. um, or something, anything that would be more of a serotonin stimulation act- activity instead of a dopamine stimulation activity, as I understand it, is very low. And so I, I had a higher capacity to withstand a, I was literally just thinking about this other day, we've gone 15 mile runs, you know, uh, eight mile runs daily, 10 mile runs daily, hundred mile weeks. That's a lot of time just with yourself. There was no iPod, you know, um, listening to anything while you ran. It was just you, yourself, nature, and the stride. Um, And now I'm a different creature chemically, Mm. you know, Uh, which I'm curious. So that makes me curious about, uh, I've been wanting to ask you one or two questions about kind of that. I'm feeling fulfilled. Um, 
But to answer your question, I think I was a different creature. And, and one of the things that I need to do as a human is go through maybe something like you did with changing dramatically your relationship with the main thing that gave you comfort. And I need to yeah. do that now and, and, and go through that because, you know, maybe my situation isn't losing 155 pounds. Well, it's definitely not because I would be negative 10 pounds. <laughs> you lost me, man. <laughs> Dang it. I was running around and you're holding your back for like years, bro. <laughs> I would never survive that now. It's crazy. <laughs> Anyways, you, you get the point. A different creature, yeah. I think what Ron's speaking to is, yeah, we need to all go into those deserts. Um uh, so we can um, rewire our brain a little chemically and also uh, some of that worth that we're talking that deeper worth you're talking about, maybe get in touch with that, which is the more long, long lasting. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. <clears throat> Let me seed something in, in your thought process here. Getting one, two punch, man. I, last year I had like the, the year of like, how hard can I push my physical body? And and it was just really a quest of like, what can I do? And I was, you know, my, it was, I was midlife crisis really hard. Well, not really hard. I just decided like, look, I'm 40. I'm not getting any younger. What can I do? I, I've had this like lifelong interest in certain physical things and, and I'm not getting any younger. And I, and if I don't pursue some of this stuff, I'm just going to have some regrets in my life. And I think on a, on a much different level, there was probably what I just spoke about, like the feeling that I was never initiated, the, th- the feeling that I had to, I never learned how to push really, really, really hard beyond, beyond comfort. And, and I tasted it a little bit. I remember in high school, I went from non-athlete, like non-participating athlete of any kind to deciding I wanted to wrestle because my honors uh, history teacher was a wrestling coach. I thought it was a cool guy. And I started, I started wrestling, which basically meant I was the weakest, slowest, least skilled. Like I got my ass kicked. Like, <laughs> like we'd go for a run. I was the last person in, like we'd do pull-ups. I was like the, you know, one. Yeah. And then like, I'd go on the mat, just immediately like slam, <laughs> like, and and yet like what happened to my life at that time was i got straight a's for the first time in my life i was walking around with a different kind of confidence that i'd never had before i walked around with less fear it was just it was a really interesting thing and and i never forgot that like that connection between pushing physically and and fulfillment and in my 40s i remember i was actually at a conference you may have been there and um, it was for health coaches. And I remember thinking like, there's something I need to revisit in my life. And what that for me was particular was I'd been a rock climber, pretty avid rock climber for over 20 years. And yet I had never done what's called a big wall, which is a wall that takes sometimes multiple days. Like you sleep on the wall to go wow. do. And, and so I was like, it's time to do it. And I, told my wife and I was like expecting her to be like, are you crazy? And, and said, she's like, yeah, dude, go do it. And <laughs> it just so happens. Like I live directly across the street from one of the best rock climbing gyms in the country. Wow. And, and it all worked out. Right. And, and in order to do that, I had to work out two hours a day, you know, four or five times a week. And at the end of those workouts, I'd go sit in the sauna just to suffer, to make myself like, hurt more because I knew where I was going 
there was either two ways to get off the wall. You either fall and die or, or three ways. You either fall and die, you get plucked off by a helicopter or you climb. And those are your choices. There's like, wow. that's it. That's all you got. And I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night terrified of the climb ahead of me, knowing that it'd been, it was terrain I'd never been on, skills I had never really learned all the way. Like I'd never like tested myself in that way. Hmm. And I'm so glad I made myself suffer because once I actually did it, it was the scaredest I've ever been, the thirstiest I've ever been, the most sleep deprived I've ever been. Like it was, and afterwards I was like, oh shit, like I can do more. Like this is, what can we, I was, I was trying to like wake everybody up. Like, hey, do you have any idea what we're capable <laughs> yeah, of? Like, like, I'm just a dude. I'm just a dad. Like I'm just a 40 year old dad. I'm not, I'm not special. I just happened to put some time in. I just happened to put a little consistency in. And, and I think, I mean, I would equate your weight loss, like beyond the difficulty that I experienced climbing that mountain, dude. Like, I, like people are doing that right now, you know? And the kind of thing that you do, like people try and they try, like it starts and stops and starts and stops and starts and stops. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons I started following you and was just like, damn, that guy's a real hero. So back to like, well, what's the purpose of pain or what's the purpose of suffering? Like, I think there is, and you can kind of speak to it. Maybe, maybe you never thought about it, but like, I think there is something kind of holy. And I don't mean this in a weird way about learning how to suffer. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree. And I mean, there's, there's so much in the Bible about suffering and suffering, like dying daily and taking up your cross and count all your sufferings as joy and like all of these things um, that, yeah, it's, it's wild because there, there has to be some truth to it. And people who experience it on the other side of it, they always talk about being stronger, always. And I mean, there was a whole song about it, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So, (laughs) but that being said, most people don't want to do it. Like we don't, we don't want to go through things. We don't want to push ourselves harder. And I am the world's worst about it in the sense that like, I like very consistently talk about how much of a pansy I am in not doing things that are tough. Like I don't want to, I hate going to the gym because it's hard. I hate doing anything that is hard. However, there are so many hards in our lives. Like I didn't want to, like for so many years, I didn't want to consistently stick with a plan that was going to help me lose weight because it was hard. But so was drinking a hundred ounces of coffee a day and struggling to catch my breath, walking upstairs and going to physical therapy three times a week and taking six medications a day. Like all of those things are also hard. You just have to pick your hard and where are you going to be on the other side of that? Whereas all of those hards were things that weren't making me better. They weren't making me stronger. They weren't helping me grow as a person. And then I chose this hard, which obviously changed everything. But so at the beginning of quarantine, there was this whole deal going around Instagram, like the the push-up challenge or whatever. And you do yeah. 10 push-ups on video yeah. and then you tag people and they have to do it and whatever. 
I got tagged by somebody because people love to call me out on things. <laughs> yeah, jerks. That's what we call them. They love what? They love like calling people out and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, if there's ever a thing going around on social media that's like, oh, tag 10 people, Brian is going to get tagged in it more than once. <laughs> um, so here came the push-up ones. And I was like, dang it, man. Like, I'm a health coach. I should probably, like, put forth an effort. But also, I yeah. can't do 10 push-ups. I know that I can't. So I videoed myself. It was terrible. They look horrible. I saved the video as a reminder. Um, but in that moment, I went, wait a minute. I am locked inside for the foreseeable future. I have no idea what this is going to look like at this point. It was like mid-March. I'm going to do push-ups. That's what I'm going to do. Every day, I'm going to do push-ups. They suck. I hate them. I don't want to do them. But I also know that it's good. So... Mm-hmm. I'm going to. And I started out, I did 10. It was terrible. And I did 10 for like two weeks. And then I was like, oh, wow, I can actually do 10. I'm going to be okay. So then I did 15. And I did 15 for a couple of weeks. And then 20. And then 25. And then 30. And then 40. And then 50. And I remember the day that I like hopped down on the floor and did 50 push-ups and then jumped back up. I was like running around the house, screaming, fist pumping the air. Like, dude, I want to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is the greatest thing. I just did 50 push-ups. Yeah. But I also remember, like you were talking about earlier, I walked differently. I held myself differently. I had more confidence day to day because I knew that I was stronger. I felt it. My body looked better. Like so many things. And it came from every single day pushing myself, even though I didn't want to, I still hated it. Every single day that I did it, I didn't want to, and I didn't like it and it hurt. And I was, Oh, I just hated it. But the thing that I did to help myself stick with it was um, a term that is referred to a lot as habit stacking. Mm. So I found something that I consistently did every day And when I did that thing, I also did push-ups. So for me, it was the fact that I I have a pretty like normal or not normal, a pretty, I don't even know what I'm looking for. My morning routine looks very similar every day. There we go. Um, So the end of my morning routine is actually about three hours after I woke up. Not that I am taking three hours to do a morning routine. I have done work and things like that. But the end of that is... I go and I take a multivitamin and I brush my teeth. So after I've had two cups of coffee and I've done some work and I've eaten breakfast and all those things, I would go in the bathroom, I would brush my teeth, I would grab the multivitamin, I'd put it in my mouth and I'd get on the floor and I would do push-ups. And so that's what I did every morning, every morning, brush my teeth, take a multivitamin, do the push-ups. And so this is right there. That is so cool because it sounds like, what you were doing was you were giving your nervous system and your body a cue. Yeah. Like now is the time that this thing happens. That's it. Uh, yeah. You know, habit stacking. I've never heard that term. I think that's a really interesting term. Um, Daniel and I were talking yesterday about um, a lot of everything that you're pursuing, I'm pursuing in, in the name of wholeness and the name of our better selves is really a job of rewiring our hardware. Oh, absolutely. Rewiring our brain. And I love that like you were giving yourself like, here's my routine. Here's my multivitamin. 
this is like the cue, the signal, the button to go 50, 50. I can't do 50 push-ups, dude. <laughs> Here's my question. Can you do 10? Yeah, I could do 10. I could okay, do 10. see, there you go. You started because like, I couldn't do that's 10. That's badass, dude. Well, that's a funny thing, too, is you were, you, the only reason you could even do your 10 push-ups, I'm assuming, is because you went through the year and three months or whatever of losing the 155 pounds, you know? So it's like, that's like level two, you know, you, the um, positive feedback loop, you know, you, you did a big thing and now the possibilities have opened up and then maybe I don't, I don't know what doing be able to do 50 pushups might lead to, but I guess the point is, is uh, what kind of my main value in particularly with this podcast and with um, talking to people in general is just waking people up as I continued to wake up to how valuable it is to, um, to address that permanent changes, real change, interchange is usually a long-term process. You know, it's, it's the result of a long-term process. It's also the result of little decisions every single day. You know, it's both of those things, but what's so cool about that is that the, as, as a person like yourself, I've seen Ronald make some permanent changes in his life too. As those changes happen, you're, the possibilities as you go along open up more and more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, I almost think it would be an interesting topic of conversation just for everybody is to be like, let me just stop everything in my life, slow down and be like, after, maybe after you put a year or something into some sort of change and go, well, what are the new possibilities? Yes. Maybe I'm yeah, missing yeah, something, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I don't know if we're still in the middle of a question that you're answering, but if not, or at some point in time, I'm curious what possibilities opened up for you after you made this major change. Great question. Ooh, yeah, that is a great question. Um, The only thing that I will say about what I was talking about is that my mind just went blank. I have no idea what I was going to say about that. (laughs) I had a thought. Sure did. It was cool. It'll come Um, back. Oh, I remember. Okay, yes. So, what you said about the fact that it was because I had made such a big change, I had lost 155 pounds. Yes. Yeah. Number one, don't think I would be able to do 50 push-ups of 330 pounds. That's a start. But the other thing is I had lost the weight. So I had already reached my goal just a couple of weeks before this whole, you know, Instagram yeah. challenge thing happened. Yeah. So then it was like I was already looking for something else to continue furthering my health because that's the thing about our journey of health is that it's never ending. Like we are always on a journey of health until we die. And so I needed something because I wasn't losing more weight. So I needed something to continue to work on my health. So then it became strength, which led to that. So, and yeah, and I think that that continues in so many things. I'm, I'm currently at a point where, like you said, like there has to be more, but I'm also like, duh, but what is it? And it's going to hurt and I don't want to do it. <laughs> so still the trying to figure that out. In my mind is flexibility. Ooh, you know, okay. Like- yes. So that's another thing that we haven't talked about, but I actually really got into hot yoga in January wow. of this year. Dude, so that's living legit. In LA. That is hard stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. the best. I think but, I, so I, love I, too, yeah. I hate being cold. We've already talked about this. So a friend of mine messaged me and said, have you ever done hot yoga? And I said, no. And she said, I think that you would really like it because it's like being in a sauna, Yeah. but you, you also get to do yoga. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Because also when I first began losing weight, I wrote down a list of things that I wanted to accomplish. 
Mm. a mm. list of things that I hoped after losing weight I would be able to do. And one of those was I wanted to do yoga. And so I started doing hot yoga in January. Dude, I fell in love, like head over heels, ball to ring, six days a week. I was doing hot <laughs> yoga. This what? January? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Dude, so from, from January to March, I did hot yes. yoga five to six days a week. And then, of course, all the studios shut down. Yeah. And so then I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, now I don't. Ugh. And and I tried doing yoga at home for a little while virtually, and it was terrible. It's, I hated it. It can be different, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that I was – I don't think that I was strong enough in my my mindset and my understanding of how to create that space for myself yet well, to so. be able to do it. If I had done it for longer, say if I had done it for a year, then maybe I would have been able to create that space for myself. Um, and to get into the right headspace for myself, but I wasn't. So, but I still like, I still write it down all the time. Like the moment that I can do hot yoga again, I am in, yeah. like, I miss it so much. So that's a legit hard, like, like <laughs> my wife's a certified yoga teacher. We've led yoga retreats together. And like, we would go down to the jungle of Mexico and lead retreats a couple of times. And like, it was hot there. And I was like, this is rad. And this is, this is as hard as a 15 mile run. Like, like this oh, is yeah. actually very, very difficult. Yeah. That's amazing. I don't dude. know why for some reason it didn't feel like everything else that sucked. Yeah. Like I hate lifting weights. I hate running. I hate being on a treadmill. Yeah. I hate doing all of those things. Yeah. But for some reason, and I think maybe part of it also was just the community aspect. Like yeah. Yeah. I was in a room with a room full of people who were also doing the same thing. I don't know. It just felt really good. And yeah. So. Yeah. I think there's, I mean, I, I think everybody's brains a little different enough. I don't know why someone over there struggles with, you know, drug addiction. I struggle with alcohol. Somebody struggles with food. Like somebody's really into this other sport. I'm into this other thing. Like our brains are just wired a little bit differently that we find our thing or we find our niche. Why? I don't know why I fell in love with rock climbing. I don't know. Like, yeah, but it's it's like I I I'm the same as you. I don't really like lifting weights. I don't really like going to the gym. You know, I didn't like going to yoga. My wife made me go to the gym with her twice a week, <laughs> and I was like always like ah okay. Always glad I did. But I think you know, it kind of speaks to like try a bunch of different stuff and yeah. find what works for you, and and then just do it because you like it and yeah. do it as long as you can. That's so cool, dude. Well, did, um, I, did I even answer your question? I'm sorry. What was your question? I don't even <laughs> well, remember at this point. You did. I mean, you said you okay. basically were like, I agree that there's more possibilities, and you know, it sounds oh. like you're in the pos- you're in the yeah. place of realizing yes. them. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you one last thing. We'll wrap this up with this. Undoubtedly, there's someone listening to this who said, who's thinking in their mind, I've always wanted to lose weight. I've never been able to. I've never been able to like do this thing that I've dreamt about my entire life. Like you talked about, like since you're 12 years old, you struggled with this. And I'm sure at certain points in your life, you're like, will this ever actually change? Yeah. So whoever is listening to this, like what, this is your chance (laughs) for you to tell them exactly what you would hope you would hope somebody would have told you or tell them exactly like what you know to be true, that something is possible. So I'll let you put that in your own words. Honestly, I, 
I don't necessarily know what I wish that someone would have told me. Um, but what I do know is that it's possible. Like if, if it's something that you've dealt with your whole life and it's something that you don't know that you can actually achieve and you begin to wonder like, is this ever going to change? Or am I stuck in this body forever? Or am I ever actually going to be able to say yes enough times that it adds up to the life that I dream of? The answer is yes. Like maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow because I tried hundreds of times and it wasn't that time, but I also didn't give up. Like I still had a hope and a dream that it was possible. And I think that that's the biggest thing is that just always keep the hope that it is possible, that whatever it is that you're wanting to accomplish or that the life that you dream of can be possible because you are not the sum of your mistakes or of your past or of the place that you grew up in or the people who raised you or all of the other things that the world may convince you are true or that you may convince yourself are true. You can be so much more. And I think the greatest part about that is that dreams are amazing and I love them and I'm a really big dreamer, but I also realize that I'm still never dreaming big enough like that there are still dreams bigger than I can fathom that are possible and I realize that now because my dream was to not be fat my dream was to to be a skinny kid my dream was to find myself attractive and all of those things are true and I'm like oh wait but there was so much more I could have dreamed for so much more and so now I am and so I think that that is the greatest part about it is that like number one don't give up on yourself Always believe that it's possible because one day you are going to find the strength in yourself to make it possible. And also maybe it comes from you partnering with someone to stand beside you, to hold you accountable, to celebrate you, to remind you that you are capable of doing this on the days that you struggle to remember that or the days you don't want to remember that. Maybe it takes someone else to partner with you, but the truth is it's possible. And then because of that, you're able to create something more and then more and then dream bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Don't give up. <laughs> that is incredible. Brian, that blew my mind. Thank you so much. How can people find you? Um, I am at Brian Brister on pretty much every social media out there. So look it up. Gosh, man. I, I, this is something I probably want to check back in with you. Like, sometime down the line Let's thank you for sharing this you you like inspired me i really do want you to know like what you have what you have done is is beyond any physical strength i've like i've seen a lot of people do a lot of very hard things and and those don't those feats of strength don't compare man they just don't and it's not not even the same galaxy um and you, you are going to change a lot of people's lives with your story and your presence that's obvious. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, just uh, honor, pleasure. You inspired me to make several moves. Uh, I'm going to touch base with some uh, hot yoga, uh, you know, situations back uh, in, <laughs> where I live. And also just today, like I'm headed to my art studio and, you know, I'll probably just accomplish, you know, some amount more because of this conversation, you know, thank you. 
I love it. Thank you guys so much for reaching out, for offering me a space to share. I really yeah. appreciate yeah. it. All right, man. Have a good one. Take care. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye, guys. Dude, that was amazing. <laughs> that was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Field Dressing. The Field Dressing. <laughs> Love it. Where we talk about, wrap up what we just witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to hear. Uh, you know, this is the second episode that we've done. Yeah. You, you've had a podcast before, though, so. That doesn't mean anything. You've had this experience. <laughs> well, it's just one thing that I thought that would be amazing uh, that I, I was sure of, and it's, paid, it's, it's happened twice, two out of two. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, you spend time and you get an intimate look at someone's life that you wouldn't do. And, yeah. like, all your attention is on them. All their attention is on the, the sharing their story, you know. And it, that there's something different about it that, that makes it maybe mean a little bit more or stick a little bit more. And I, I was, I was assuming that would be the case, something about being recorded, knowing that you're, you know, hopefully going to expose this to other people and maybe their lives will change. It just all just means a little bit more. And I felt that twice. And, and today was really a pleasure to, to experience that again. So new to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fortunate to start both of you know, this podcast with two people who, who've like radically changed their life. And, and I, few of us will have to do that. Many of us want to do that. You know what I mean? Like, like few of us will be put in a position where like, you have to change or you're going to die or you have to change, you're going yeah. to jail or something. And so, and I think sometimes, and I don't, I don't mean to like, I don't know, overstate this, but sometimes I think having to is a blessing. You know, like you, like it, it forces your hand. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, Brian, maybe I should have asked him that. Like what, you know, was he, I mean, he obviously was on a bunch of medications and things like that. I, I kind of, yeah, I was, I was feeling the same thing. I wanted to ask him what was the tipping point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounded like it was just, he was tired of hurting. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, my, I mean, my dad died when he was 53 and it was his third heart attack um, based just purely off of um, lifestyle choices. Like it was just him smoking, eating like shit. And at any time he could have decided to change himself and he didn't. Yeah. And that I think unfortunately is like probably how most people will do with, with lifestyle choices. Exactly, man. And that's, that's kind of one of the main things that I'm personally, it's becoming, I'm becoming acutely aware of. It's becoming a thing that is like right there in front of me and accessible, which is, if you make a small adjustment in your life and you stick to it over time, your life will change. Yeah. So I don't have to wait for like, let's see my primary addiction in life right now is probably technology, you know, because that's what the first two guests that that we've had have done. They kicked their primary addiction. Yeah. That's a tough thing to do. Right. And, and um, so what, how would my life change if I, you know, maybe kicked is the wrong word, because you're still going to use it but like he has to eat still right so he kicked it but he still eats yeah but i guess what it says update in a healthy way your relationship with something that you're addicted to and what happens if i just make that adjustment you know and then on top of that what about my secondary addiction what about a way i'm not treating myself very well Mm -hmm. what if you know all these little trajectory adjustments you know over this is the key over years 
your life will be in, you know, Florida instead of New York. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't set that up, but it's like, you know, a you. small yeah, adjustment yeah. on a plane, you know, and you end up over here, over here mm-hmm. after a long time. Yeah. And to see these people like make the big ones where it doesn't even take that long for their life to change. Now they're set up to make those smaller adjustments that they probably easier. It's so inspiring. Really inspiring. The other thing that stood out to me with Brian was um, his idea of habit stacking. Yeah. And the the pill. Man, him doing 50 push-ups, like that was cool. That's cool. <laughs> How many men are walking around here like, I wish I could rip out 20? And and the fact that this guy like had that internalized shame around it and just in discomfort, right? Which I think most of us do around anything like that. He expanded his horizons, you know, he he transcended himself. He he mm. broke new ground. And there's nothing more I had an experience with this recently with something that I was just I was not going to be able to succeed at this thing I was interested in doing unless I did this thing and I had never done this thing. So I just put everything down and did this thing. And then my whole life changed. And it, it just made me realize it, the world becomes bigger, possibilities grow, you relax, yeah. things fall into place, homeostasis, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, and I, and I, would, I would say that is all true. Like, it's totally true. And, I, and I've experienced it myself. Like, I've, you know, I was fortunate enough to start a health journey in my late 30s that netted me losing almost 40 pounds. I've kept that off. I did a bunch of physical stuff. And, and now I've like, I've been adding routines in my life that, that have created more bandwidth in my life. Like I'm more mentally clear. I have more joy, more peace, more just bandwidth to deal with myself, more kindness to myself. And it all started with like, well, I'm not going to eat like half the pizza and all the ice cream tonight. I'm going to have like a piece of pizza and a little bit of ice cream. I'm going to work with my the people that I've hired to help me, my health coaches, I'm going to work with my therapist. I'm going to talk to people uh, who I love and respect. Uh, I'm going to pursue the things that light my heart up. Like it all stacks on top of each other. And, and over time, like it, you know, I've definitely been in places in my life where at the beginning, I didn't think change was possible. And I um, exactly. I loved him talking about that. Like the push-ups was probably my favorite part of it. Sorry, I really? You no, know, go hard. It really was. I don't know why. It's just it was so clear. It was so linear. It's just like yeah. I can't do push-ups and I hate them, <laughs> but I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And yeah, you know, yeah, push-ups. Yeah. Ten push-ups is such an accessible thing to do. It that takes even if you're like struggling, that's a 45 second. Yeah. It's less than a minute. You know, and so. I just start thinking, what's something I can do that would be yeah. one minute each day, but if I did do it, I w- and it's hard for me, you know? Yeah. And then I, and then you, it's just it was so clear how, and then he started rattling off the, like 35, 40, and you're just like, holy smokes, man, you did it. Like, you did it. That's yeah. like people write stories about stuff like that. That's yeah, badass, really badass. That's great, man. Dude, more coming. Stay tuned. We've got more amazing folks coming. And if you know somebody who's done something incredible that's totally inspired you, if you are that person who's totally incredible, inspiring, we'd love to hear from you. And until next time. Absolutely.